0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 74 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we celebrate a major app store milestone with rally cards and birds on a mysterious island. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, been a good week of apps and uh, a big
1: celebration today. So, uh, yeah, it's been a good week for Apple.
0: And so on the day we're recording, it's July 10th, and that marks the 10-year anniversary of the App Store, which launched July 10th, 2008, with big hit games like Super Monkey Ball and Apple's own game, Texas Hold'em. Then there was the official Facebook app, but the official Twitter app hadn't come yet, so we just had to settle for Twitterific. There was only 500 apps available on the App Store 10 years ago today, and it's come a long way since then.
1: Yeah, well, even with the 500 apps, I believe they had something like 10 million downloads in the first weekend the App Store showed up. So it's been a hit ever since it launched.
0: Yep. And so we'll kind of go over a little bit of a timeline and look back at all that the App Store's offered over these past 10 years. And so first off, it took until the following April to reach the first billion apps downloaded. Apple had a whole little celebration. And it's interesting because during that period, 75% of the apps on the App Store were paid apps, and only 25% were free apps. So as you see, as we go through this timeline, things have changed. Right, and
1: I remember early on in the early days, they had light versions of apps. So we didn't have this whole free-to-play thing. We had people uh producing both a light version and the full version so that's how you got your little trial to see if you liked it and then if you liked it you went and bought the full version
0: yep and speaking of which it was a fateful day on October 15th 2009 apple allowed in-app purchases and that let developers essentially changed the way the app store was, is that race to the bottom where games originally started at like $10, then they got to $0.99, cents. well now how can we offer them cheaper? Well, what if we offer them free and then try to nickel and dime consumers after the fact? And that was the date.
1: Well, in fact, actually, the first thing they did with those in-app purchases was they only allowed them on the paid apps, which was because they didn't want to confuse people. Where you, So you couldn't attach an in-app purchase to a free app. You had to only put it on a paid app. So that way people knew they were getting into an app that was going to cost them money, which obviously they've changed their tune at this point because now everything is free with tons of paid in-app purchases.
0: Right. And so... The following April in 2010, the iPad launched, and with it came its own version of the App Store with iPad-specific apps, and then there was the whole conundrum of the HD versions, and then we trend to the universal apps, and it all started on that date.
1: Right, yeah, I didn't get an iPad right away. Did you get... You got one. You got
0: the original one, Yeah, I got right? that first iPad.
1: Yeah, I waited till the, the next gen, and... Uh, then I hopped in, but by then I believe the universal apps were there, so I was not in that whole, do I buy... Well, I guess some developers were still developing both separately because they realized they could get people to pay more money for the iPad version than the a universal version. So, uh, there, yeah, there was that whole thing where people were complaining about buying apps twice.
0: Yep, and it's interesting because... There were some early developers that actually made a different game or app interface for the iPad, and it was truly distinct value, you could see it. And then over time, they've kind of merged it, so there's not a big distinction no matter what device you're playing on. Right, right, yep. And then in January 2011, the success of the iOS App Store allowed Apple to release the Mac App Store, and while it's been available since 2011, it's never... Gain the traction or notoriety of the iOS App Store.
1: Right, right, and then I believe in I I that iOS uh 2011 was iOS five, and that's the time where you no longer needed to have iTunes to, to get everything. Everything could be go over. I believe you just you could go over Wi-Fi, and you didn't necessarily have to plug in in order to to, uh, to get the apps onto your device
0: right and then apple reached 10 billion apps downloaded in january 2011 and then by march of 2012 they already got to 25 billion and so that was starting to amp up and then by 2013 they're at a 50 billion and then by 2015 they're at 100 billion so it's really amping up from those original outset
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just gone crazy. I mean, once you had, they they just kept on lowering the barrier to entry and a lot of people were just starting to develop things, try their hands at things, making it easier to develop apps and get your stuff onto the app store. So you had a lot more people putting stuff out there. So there was a lot more content for people to download and try for free without paying money.
0: And then on February of 2011, Apple. Apple introduced subscriptions, in-app subscriptions, and if you've been following the App Store recently, it's taken a while, but now it seems like most apps are going for that subscription model.
1: Right, I mean, we seem to go from buying that one time in that purchase to this is the only way they can really sustain things over time, where you have the subscription model instead because now you have this yearly or annually or monthly, however you set it up, flux of ca- influx of cash coming in versus someone just outright one time buying the app and expecting it to get updated forever. Or they do some minor in-app purchase to unlock the content. But then again, that's a one-time thing where now developers are getting smarter and realizing we need to have this constant cash because people expect us to update this thing forever and ever and ever.
0: Right. And so that changes the whole kind of idea. And as the app store is developing, it wasn't without its own growing pains. So in 2011, there was the whole uh, lo- multiple class action lawsuits about kids racking up hundreds of dollars in in-app purchases, and then also, you know, there was the apps like AppGratis and similar where they generated huge thousands of download numbers to impact the charts, and so Apple started removing those, and they've been kind of fine-tuning the charts ever since.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely forgot about the whole app gratis stuff and those affecting those, the charts and everything.
0: Yeah, so it it hasn't always been perfect, and Apple's continued to work on it, especially with new platforms launching. So in April 2015, we got the Apple Watch with its own Apple Watch App Store, and then in 2015 in October, we got the Apple TV 4 with its own App Store, and then in September of 2016 we had the whole iMessage app store so Apple keeps coming up with these new app store platforms super niche and as time goes on we realize that it's still based on that single app you know it's always built upon the iOS app store they are extensions but just like the iPad we don't need s- separate versions it's essentially the same app that you can then use in your messages or up on the Apple TV or on your Apple Watch.
1: Right, right. They're either the universal apps or sometimes what you'll do is they put the stickers within the, a game app. So now you get it kind of as a bonus. And it, But there are separate sticker apps you can just purchase on their own or separate like games for iMessage that you can buy separately. But for the most part, it, at least a lot of developers are going for that universal let's one download and you get it everywhere on all these different ios or apple platforms
0: and it makes you wonder how long until we get that universal app with the mac because this is like the next you know years down the road app store milestone apple previewed it at this past wwdc they were able to show off like iBooks available as kind of a universal mac version ios version all combined into one
1: yeah, the, the only thing that I think is holding that back is the pricing disparaged, like, between Mac apps and iOS apps. They can charge a heck of a lot more for a Mac app that even if they had the option, I'm not sure developers would hop on it right away.
0: Yep, and so as that timeline accelerated, we more familiar, more recent history Last September, iOS 11 App Store redesigns it. We have the specific games tab. We have that new today tab with stories. And then in December of 2017, Apple introduced pre-orders. And as we've gone through 2018, it's a pretty convenient way to highlight apps before they actually launch on the App Store. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is finally helping with discoverability. You know what things are coming. You can finally see these apps. They can feature them even before they're out. And that way, they're not featuring stuff that doesn't belong to be featured. They really can have the best of the best featured because of stuff that's pre-orderable.
0: Yep. And so that's kind of the structural app store highlights. But then there's been app trends over the years. And so... You know, we talked about those apps that were first on the App Store, but as time developed, more developers tried different things. And so we got WhatsApp in August of 2009, and then we didn't actually get an official Twitter app until October of 2009. And then Instagram didn't launch until October of 2010. So some major apps that are just, you know, default at this point, kind of first app downloads launched a year or two after the App Store was actually available, and in the case of Instagram and WhatsApp, they gained their popularity, notoriety, and acquisition costs just from iOS. Their entire business model started on iOS.
1: Right, yeah, and, and even if you looked at these apps individually, and you you look at how they evolved over time, it's it's pretty incredible. Some of them, some features, not so much. They kind of just are still there, but other things have just radically changed with the times, as far as the interface and just the overall look, even icons and everything. And it's it's fun to just go back and look at some of these apps and try to find old screenshots and see how they've changed over time.
0: Yeah, and even Snapchat didn't launch until the f- September of 2011. So just these really popular social apps, which are probably the most popular non-game ideas on the app store have been in the social category and just entire companies have launched and established themselves based on the iPhone. Yep. And so it's interesting because if you look at the apps that have done really well in the charts, most number of days is number one on the charts since the app store started over the past ten years. Four of the top five are now owned by Facebook with the Facebook app, Messenger, as well as Instagram and WhatsApp. So those are kind of the top trending charts. And since then, Facebook has their own two, plus they acquired two others.
1: Yeah, I and they're making the right purchases,
0: I guess. And then speaking of acquisitions, some major kind of news from EA. EA is a really interesting company because they tried their own thing. And relative success, kind of limited success, they always did those app sales on big holidays. So... On May 3rd of 2011, they acquired FireMint, which they made Real Racing and Flight Control. And that was a big acquisition. It was a big app deal of a gaming company, standalone startup, essentially in Australia, was able to sell itself to a big company like EA. And then EA Incorporated, they released Real Racing 3. They had a space version of Flight Control. And then if you look at EA, they don't really do anything on iOS anymore. You know, they have the few kind of big popular brand name, essentially takes on Clash of Clans or something like that, but they don't really participate in iOS like they used to.
1: No, and, and they used to have a lot of premium titles. They, they lived on the premium titles, and then they started shifting as they made those acquisitions, they started shifting everything to the free-to-play model, and they got rid of their really good titles like they had a great mirror's edge game they have i i'm not sure nba jam you might still be able to get in the app store i can't remember but they had a bunch of really like great titles that they just didn't upkeep and then like you said they always were constantly putting them on sale and now they're kind of going for these more watered down versions of their classics in that free-to-play model for the most part that's all they seem to do on ios now
0: and just not as much as they. I mean, they were churning out games, you know, like every month, really big titles. And now it's very infrequent to actually see a title come from EA. Right, right. Yep. I mean, they acquired PopCap in the same year that they acquired Firemint, And PopCap, you know, they have some of the best known IP in terms of games, whether it's Bejeweled or Peggle or what have you. And EA just really hasn't, you know, they've tried versions. They've tried free-to-play versions. None of it's really sticked. None of it has competed with something like Candy Crush or whatever, what have you.
1: Well, even like titles that should be like evergreen titles for them, like that should still be sticking around, like Flight Control. It's gone from the App Store. That thing should still be out and about. You would have new gamers coming in and still playing it. That thing should still be around and they just did not upkeep a lot of these games and i'm guessing it was just too much money and too much work to keep on updating with the changes in ios to keep them relevant and keep them working and they just found it was easier just to let them die a death and you unfortunately can't find a bunch of these games anymore
0: yeah you so we'll get on in a little bit about kind of game highlights but a lot of them don't exist on the app store anymore whether it's the 64-bit change developers just don't stick around for 10 years or whatever the case may be
1: yeah or or even like some of them were so tightly intertwined with open faint, and that went away when game center kind of took over but then game center apple's just kind of let die and so yeah. It's sad to see some of these things you used to love when the App Store was early on and you can't play them anymore. There's really no way, unless you have a really old device that still has this app on it somehow.
0: And so 2009 was a big year on the App Store. In January, we got Pocket God, which was one of the early smash hits of the App Store, letting you control those little minions. It was updated just on a regular basis and showed the longevity of an app as you give attention to it. But also Flight Control came out in March, and then Doodle Jump came out in April, and then Angry Birds came out in December of 2009. So some of the most well-known classic App Store games all came out in 2009, and if you look at that list, Angry Birds is definitely the standout for being able to last so long, span it out. There's like a dozen or a couple dozen different Angry Birds games, whether it's Rio or Transformers or... Angry Birds Epic, just all kinds of different versions of Angry Birds.
1: Yeah, I mean, just a couple more to add to that list. Uh, Cannibalt, I believe, came out in 2009, and Field Runners, the original Field Runners came out in 2009. So there were some big, big titles that came out in that early days that were just, they did, they were so recognizable and did so well just right out of the gate.
0: Yep, and then as you go along, we have august 3rd 2011 the first version of temple run came out and you know it created its own genre essentially with all these 3d endless runners and you know the hugely successful sequel all starting out just from that august 3rd date and temple runs fun because i got to see it at that gdc 2011 you know when they barely had much at all and to see it just become a phenomenon is crazy Right, and Jetpack Joyride came out that that year too. So this endless runner
1: craze, with the start of, with Temple Run kicking things off, and then it just became like abs. That was just another genre that just blew up with these kind of highlight titles that just everyone wanted to make an endless runner once once these did so well.
0: And then 2012 is a well-known year if you like popular games on the App Store in August. Clash of Clans came out, and then in November, Candy Crush came out. And you could argue that they're the two most popular entities on the App Store. Yeah, (laughs) neither of which I I am playing, but
1: yes, I I agree that they were monster hits. But again, how much Match 3 do we need?
0: It's funny because both of them have spawned all kinds of different versions, have made the companies essentially worth billions of dollars, all just starting out from you know they neither revolutionized any given genre but they just made it super accessible and then they really made in-app purchases fully fleshed out fully thought out but not in your face so it, they really kind of set the standard of what future games were going to do
1: Right, and and also in two thousand twelve, that's when Telltale really like blew onto the scene with the whole Walking Dead game, and they had their whole system of in app purchases, where it was sort of a subscription if you per- pre purchased all of those episodes, or you could buy the episodes one at a time. So they were big into those in app purchases as well, but in kind of like a different way, where you're buying additional content, not these little microtransactions.
0: And then 2013 was really kind of probably the climax of paid games, just some really amazing titles. It's kind of the end of 2012, 2013, where that's when, you know, Gameloft was accelerating with their Modern Combat series or Nova. And then you had, you know, like Oceanhorn and just really grand scale games for a premium price point. And like the Telltale games fit in that idea as well.
1: Yeah, I and mean, on the digital board game side, since you know how much of those, that's when <laughs> Lords of Waterdeep came out and Deck was, like, major at that point. Now, now they're pretty much dead. Uh, but And we also had uh, Super Sick Man Golf 2 came out that year and Device 6. That was, like, the huge hit from Samogo, who had done Year Walk the year earlier, and this was, like, the, the next iteration of, like, their really crazy paid, like, interesting, adventure, creepy apps.
0: Yeah, and uh, Samogo's always definitely worth checking out. And then we had in 2014, in November, we had Crossy Road come out, and it's really interesting because the developer of that game, he made, you know, a few, like, hidden object games before that. He was relatively small. And then just Crossy Road, it was probably the last out of nowhere just huge spike game in terms of a small developer up until we had Flappy Bird which was the following year (laughs) and then that created its own trend of just crazy insane out of nowhere games that made all these different clones and that was a whole weird time the 2014-15 quick action super hyper games that are very difficult.
1: Right, and, and also that year Hearthstone came out, which was a monster hit, and people were playing that like crazy, uh, Galaxy Trucker came out, uh, and Star Realms, as far as digital war games go, and yeah, so you had all those quick action, everyone wanted to be the next Flappy Bird, but then you also, over on the other side, the more everyone started seeing Hearthstone and trying to create their own little card battling game, which pretty much copied everything in Hearthstone. So you had all of the the, this was the year that launched the copycats. And then you had everyone try to cash in on these that were doing so well.
0: Yep. And then 2016 in July, we had Pokemon Go, which showed that AR was viable as a gaming trend, I don't know how many people still play Pokemon Go, but in 2016, when it launched, it was like the ultimate craze where like every meme was about it and just all kinds of uh, random people would all of a sudden be playing it, even if they've never played Pokemon and to be on the news and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, that first year, that
1: first week or two that it came out, it was absolutely insane. People were like driving while playing it. Like it was absolutely insane. I know about, like, two or three people that are still playing the thing. I don't play it at all. I lasted two weeks tops. and But, yeah, it was, like, absolutely... It, it was the first game that I would say really cracked in all over the news. Like, there were other ones where they talk about Flappy Bird and, and this, but... Literally, Pokemon Go was everywhere on the news. Every single news station was talking about it. Didn't matter what. And people that you didn't even know gamed were starting to play it and pulling out their phones and walking around trying to play it. Just because it crossed so many barriers and so many people were interested just in Pokemon that this got them playing these games out and about it, I don't know that it was this whole exercise thing that people thought it was going to be, but it, at least it got people outside while playing these games.
0: And it makes you wonder if Apple put more attention towards augmented reality you know, for their own AR kit and later versions of iOS because of the popularity of Pokemon Go. I
1: suspect it has to be, right? I mean yeah. it it seems like they saw how much money that thing made. I don't know that anything in AR is really done as well as that has, but I think they saw this could be a big moneymaker if they had the right IP attached.
0: Yep. And then speaking of IPs, on december fifteenth of twenty sixteen Mario came to iOS. It's not you know, it's not gonna compete with Super Mario Odyssey or something, but it's a made. Probably the biggest name in gaming made its way to the iOS device.
1: Right. And again, well, that made a splash when it first launched and then it kind of just got quiet. They never I don't know. It just seemed to never really do super well. I think it was because it was so simplistic and it was a premium paid title uh, for what it was. And so I don't know that it did as well as they had hoped it would. And we haven't seen another Mario game since then, at least not that I remember. Uh, so I don't know that it did as well as hoped.
0: Yeah, I think it's because, you know, it was that experiment of having free download and then 10 bucks to unlock the full game. And they just see if that kind of worked. Because since then, they've tried Fire Emblems, and then they tried Animal Crossing, and it's just like they're experimenting, moving around, but Nintendo even trying anything on iOS is a big deal, and it started right there. Right, right, yep. And then in 2017, in September, the launch of HQ Live Trivia, which this is a game that has hit all kinds of news sources where you know, you'll know you have late-night talk show hosts interviewing Scott Ragowski, the main host of HQ and you'll just have people playing it in groups like it's not as trendy and big of a deal as it was. It kind of peaked earlier in 2018 when they had like two million simultaneous players giving away $250,000 but it's kind of there's so many different versions spawned off that idea of a live game show.
1: Right, right, yeah. Once again, like the, it had its, all its copycats of. Although this is a lot tougher to copycat, but you have still had people trying. They weren't nearly as good as the original, and yeah, I don't know that it's as popular as it once was. But it, it's definitely shows a way that this could be the future where people are all having kind of the shared experience, and but from their devices where normally their heads are in devices and they don't even talk to one another where this your head is in the device but you might be talking to the guy next to you like hey do you know what the answer is come on come on tell me tell me and so you kind of have this whole group kind of working together on this trivia thing but everyone's their own player but you still kind of have this group mentality and people are talking and and sharing this experience together
0: and with a normal game show there's such a barrier to entry where you have to might go to the studio and then you have to get picked to come on down and then actually play or picked in a few people to play Jeopardy, or very very few people are selected this you just open up the app and you're playing you can play with two million other people because it's so easy to start playing, and it must be doing well' because they can link up to you know big movies and have big huge prizes and just all kinds of special guests because it's become such a popular phenomenon. And they keep giving away tons of money, so they must be able to monetize it.
1: Yeah, I don't know how they're monetizing this, but somehow they're making money. And yeah, they have all kinds of special guest hosts coming in. They have people host it like just popping in for a question or two. It yeah, uh, it's become a whole cultural thing, and I'm impressed that it's it's been doing so well. I I I've kind of stopped playing. I every once in a while will play, but. Uh, it's still fun when you hop in, even even if I don't play it for a while and I hop in. It's just fun to give it a try, and I sometimes I'll know the answer, sometimes I won't. But
0: it's it's available to anyone. Yep, and so we're in two thousand eighteen now, and we got plenty of games to talk about on this week's episode. Before we get there, I just wanted to go over kind of the best of my best of picks for each of the past. Nine years because we don't have the 10th year yet. But so, 2008, my game of the year was Dizzy Bee, just because it was made from the ground up for iOS. You know, it used the accelerometer. It was a whole different way to play because accelerometer wasn't really used back in 2008. So, you're tilting your device to control your little bee to slide through the world. And that was just one of the really memorable get go games from the App Store.
1: Yeah, I fondly remember D- Dizzy B. I remember they even released a pack of all their games later on. It was that was a
0: that was a fun game. And then two thousand nine Rolando two. So the first Rolando released in two thousand eight. It was that platformer that lets you draw paths on the screen, interact with the environment. Super cute rolling characters. Again, it's using tilt. And then the sequel just expanded the whole cast of characters the levels just everything and it's too bad we never got a Rolando 3 because as it came into development that's when the parent company Injimoko was really going heavy free to play and then they got acquired by Gree and it just it never got fully made
1: Right, you're, that's when things fell apart. Yeah, Rolando, both of them were fantastic games. I, I distinctly remember getting one of those little cards with a code for the first one when they used to print those nice little Starbucks cards. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then uh the second one, I picked that up as soon as it came out because I loved the first one so much.
0: And so then in 2010, I started making top 100 lists or top 50 lists. So here's top three for 2010. I got Tilt to Live. Fruit Ninja, and Zombie Smash. And each of these games, again, focus on iOS. So Tilt to Live, you're tilting your device. It's this whole arcade classic arcade game, but now made with Tilt. And then Fruit Ninja, what needs to be said, it's kind of a standout of 2010 as well, just with that whole touch swipe mechanics. And then Zombie Smash, it uses that same touch, hyper, quick, action, touch-friendly design. Yeah, all fantastic picks. I I would pick all those as well. And honestly, you can fire up these games and they're still good today. You know, it's not like... Well, I think Zombie Smash is removed from the App Store, but Tilt to Live and Fruit Ninja, you can still play and they're still a ton of fun. Even there's a Tilt to Live 2 to try.
1: Yeah, yeah, if you haven't played Tilt to Live, you need to play that right away. I'm sure everyone at this point has played Fruit Ninja in some form. But if you have somehow missed Tilt to Live, you are doing yourself a disservice if you not go and play that as soon as you're done listening to us.
0: Yep. And so then 2011, we have Where's My Water, where Disney had created their own brand new IP, a whole new idea with this water-based physics puzzler, because physics puzzlers were pretty popular at the time. But the water idea hadn't been done where you're digging the ground to guide the water flows to specific areas. And then you have the fun little swampy. And Disney's another company like EA where they were really doing a lot on iOS in the early days. And now they'll essentially license out a Star Wars game or a Marvel game. And that's the extent of their work on iOS. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, they, they yeah. I, I Unfortunately... They've kind of let things last. But Where's My Water, the Where's My Mickey was excellent, uh, an excellent take on that whole thing. But yeah, it was innovative at the time and it was just a fun, different sort of puzzle game that you think like, why hadn't anyone thought of this before? It but it just works so well and was so approachable for any age or any kind of skill level as far as puzzle games go, that it was just a fun little quick play, like a play level here and there, and you can hop in, hop out of it, and it was just a very well done game.
0: Yep, and then Modern Combat 3, so since then, we've got Modern Combat 4 and Combat 5, but in 2011, what Gameloft was able to do with the first person, 3D first person shooter on iOS, it was really, really impressive, and I think, I that Gameloft, I feel bad that they changed, you know, when they were making... You know, Hero of Sparta and Modern Combat and Nova and those really deluxe games, kind of based on console versions like the first Dungeon Hunter, all that stuff. That was really fun time.
1: Right. Yeah. They had the, that. Was their niche that they did such a good job in that area, and then it just kind of got left like i it's another one of these like sad stories where you you had someone doing such good work in a certain area of the app store and then all of a sudden it just goes away and then these games i didn't know that you can play some of them anymore or they started to shift towards like a free-to-play model which just kind of ruined the experience
0: yeah it seems like game loss focusing on like making a new version of clash of clans you know because they've always had that idea of making versions but you know when you're making a PlayStation game available for iOS when it doesn't actually exist you know you change up the naming and the characters that's something different but if you make a version of Clash of Clans well I'll just play Clash of Clans you know it's not like there's no alternative
1: right right yeah you might as well play the original if you can play the original on that platform but right and then go ahead oh I was just going to say a couple that I just wanted to mention from 2011 uh were uh NBA Jam, I loved the the port of NBA Jam and Home Run Battle Two, which was uh I forget who released The Com
0: to Us game. Yeah, right? Com
1: to Us game. Yeah. I was so addicted to that game. I played so much of that and Ticket to Ride, the the digital version of Ticket to Ride was fantastic, still a classic, and then Jetpack Joyride was that year as well, which I believe we already mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah, but that's when Half Brick was just nailing every release before a couple of developers went and started their own company just they were really doing a good job back then
1: yes yeah
0: and then also Spy Mouse came out in 2011 and that was the first game created from the EA and Firemint partnership that we mentioned and Spy Mouse took that idea of flight control and turned it into more of an adventure so rather than endless challenge you now have distinct levels using that path drawing control and really, 2010, 2011, Path Drawing was the hot thing. And now, you know, we talk about new games every week. I don't remember the last Path Drawing game we talked about.
1: Right, yeah, it's just a uh, a format that's kind of gone away. I, did, I remember writing something back during its heyday about all of these Path Drawing games I absolutely loved. I mean, there was Harbor Master. there was Lion's Pride, there were so many good 33rd Path Division. Drawing games. That, that was a good one. I just wish that that's a genre that I wish would kind of come back. Like, someone's going to make a good path drawing game.
0: Yep. And then 2012, Minigore 2. So the first Minigore was really good, but it was really small in scope. And so Minigore 2 just expanded it out. There's seemingly a million enemies on screen. And it's just that picture-perfect, super tight dual-stick controls, another genre. Dual-stick shooters were super popular around this time. You know, I, Dracula really popularized it when it came out, and then there was all these different takes on it, and now it's tough to find a dual-stick shooter.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's another... Yeah, that's another one. Like, there's all <laughs> these, amazing. and I kind of miss. They, they were so huge, like... That was such a good year uh, for all of the dual stick shooters. The, also that year, I already mentioned the Walking Dead game. We had the Port of Bastion, which was absolutely Yeah, that, that was
0: the one I was going to mention. Bastion was just amazing. That was my number two game just because they have that whole narration combined with just outstanding action RPG combat. Yeah.
1: I, it's like, I, it was absolutely amazing. Like, and they nailed the controls on that where it could have been horrible the way they had to do it (laughs) because you're going from like a real like console joystick with all of these sticks, all these buttons. And they did just an amazing job figuring out how to translate that to like a virtual set of stick and buttons without covering the screen that you couldn't see what was going on. And and everything from the console game was all there. Like you did not lose anything in the translation.
0: And then also Mikey shorts came out that year and that's just an amazing game. That retro arcade platformer where it's just touch left and right and then touch the other side of the screen to jump. But it comes with these super precise touch controls that allow you to maneuver through these really ornately crafted levels.
1: Yeah, and also that year, uh, One Man Left, who put out Tilt to Live, they put out Outwitters, which was this uh, turn-based like, strategy game, which I don't think it ended up doing that well, but it, was, it had really great graphics, and it was a, a cute point-based system where you can move characters around, you had different classes of characters, and you were basically trying to take over these little bases. And it was really well-made. It was underrated. Uh, I loved that game. I thought and uh, I'm kind of hoping it comes back and does and gets a resurgence, but uh, it, uh there's all these titles as I was going through and just looking back that you just I remember playing these games so much and what happened to them?
0: Yep. So once we got to 2013, I mentioned it earlier, but Oceanhorn was just this amazing Zelda style game. You know, it was like 699 and it was just this outstanding adventure game where you want to play it start to finish and just so much happens there's so much to explore and just do in that game yeah 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 i I, I totally agree yeah and then Badland also came out that year and Badland and its sequel came out a couple of years after but the original just if you like intense action you know it kind of has that limbo idea where sudden changes unexpected and you just have to deal with it but this is more fluid more flowing and more just really quick changes of action and requires you to react to it
1: yeah yeah in 2014 i mean 2013 was just like an incredible year like we had
0: uh defy six like device six super stickman
1: golf two i believe is that when we had the wolf among us and i think so and Cut the Rope 2, like The Room 2. It was just like an incredible year. I, I think Mikey Hooks we had. uh It was just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that was like the paid game
0: Nirvana period.
1: Yes, Asphalt 8, I believe. Rim mm-hmm. Capsule.
0: Uh, it was just crazy. Well, Rim Capsule was outstanding. <laughs> yeah. And then 2014, we had the really popular... Puzzle games that actually became mainstream. Puzzle games usually rarely become mainstream, but Monument Valley and Threes just took the App Store by storm. You know, they're not the most challenging games, but they're different. So Threes, you probably played 2048. Threes came first. Threes came up with the idea of merging tiles into bigger tiles and making matches with this nice sliding mechanic. And then Monument Valley is the 3D perspective shift and just was so so well crafted so much design and detail went into every single level
1: right, right. and then we also had rules which kind of was a similar setup and then you had hitman go and and thomas was alone I, all of these years there were so many good good titles that you go back and you think about
0: that yeah and hitman Papers, go Please. set like a whole genre
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That kicked off their whole series of the games. I wish they would do more of them, but I think they kind of disbanded uh, doing all those. But yeah, it was just a lot of really nice games. We had this kind of golden era of like all of these games coming out.
0: And Leo's Fortune came out that year, too. And if you've played. On Mar, this year, it's from the same developers, and you can see that pedigree in place with Leo's Fortune.
1: Right, yep. And Mikey Boots, I think, came out that that year too.
0: Yeah. That was, bef- that was when they were still doing the Mikey games before they transitioned to those quick action games. Yep. And then 2015, we got Pac-Man 256, which took the Crossy Road idea and applied it to the classic Pac-Man, and just, there's So Pac-Man is outstanding in its form, but you realize that the maze is set fixed on screen. So 256 makes it so it's endlessly vertically scrolling, and then as you go, it gets more difficult. And not only that, it has just a few few different strategies. So you can collect a chain of dots, and if you get to 256, you unlock a special power-up mode, essentially those blue pellets, but even more deluxe. And so bringing Pac-Man from the past and making it fit today or at least 2015 standards was a great job
1: right yeah i mean it took it's kind of difficult to take like a classic and then really do something that doesn't feel cheap or some way that they kind of just trying to get money out of you or a rehash of something that's already done and this felt like it was something new something different but still have that classic appeal of pac-man
0: and then does not commute came out that year from the makers of Smash Hit, where Does Not Commute was just outstanding. So you have to essentially draw a path for a car to get from point A to point B, and then you replay that same exact time sequence over again, but now you have a second car, and then as you go, there's going to be like 10 different cars. You have to make sure they don't collide as the timelines overlap, and that was just an amazing game.
1: Yeah, that that's one I still I still have on my device and I still will try to go back every once in a while and try and uh, see if I can improve where I had left off because you you got to keep on kind of having those save points or you go back. Uh, yeah, that was just really, really innovative and different from anything else. And speaking of which, that was also the year that my game of the year came out, Card Crawl, which was... It's super different and interesting take on solitaire where you have that kind of give and take where you're taking supplies and you're fighting monsters and trying to basically survive through this almost like a dungeon crawl, but card based and and it had so much replay value and they the the developer just kept on doing a good job of updating it over the year and having new content, new updates that kinda of kept the game interesting and kept on wanting to go back and it was just a really phenomenal little card game that just came out of nowhere.
0: And since then they released Card Thief and Miracle Merchant and then games like On Rim and similar just quick action kind of you can play a single setting of solitaire but with new modern card takes those have really done well since then
1: right right yeah
0: and then 2015 also saw alto's adventure the first one so hopefully you played alto's odyssey this year but it all started with alto's adventure back in 2015
1: yep yeah that was the the original one that launched it and uh i i think i actually prefer the sequel a little bit better even though you didn't get to ride in the llama right away but uh i i it's like it all starts somewhere
0: yep and then 2015 like i mentioned was the year the app store or the apple watch app store launched and lifeline was the first game and really since then the best game that was made for the apple watch where you get to have essentially a text conversation with this stranded astronaut and you have the little notifications come into your watch and you can interact with those notifications and play the full game right on your watch
1: yeah, I still need to go back and play that. <laughs> I know I keep saying that. I, I haven't played any of those.
0: There's a bunch of Lifeline games since then, all built on the same idea, but that first one was their best in terms of character creation, storyline creation, multiple endings where... I've reached two endings where i failed to save Taylor, and that's why I haven't got back... I had never actually saved Taylor in that game. <laughs> you keeping uh, keeping her hanging. Yep. And then we get to 2016, and that's the year mini Metro came out where we saw that game, both of us as saw it at different cons and it seemed like, oh, coming next year, coming next year. And finally, it actually came out and it lived up to the expectations just by being a brilliant time management game where you get to oversee the subway and control the different lines with specific stations that you need to bridge and create pathways to.
1: Right, yeah, that was a long time coming, but it finally uh, was well worth the wait. And uh yeah, I, I 2016 was another year where we had a lot of crazy good titles. I mean, that was as far as like digital board games, we had Patchwork came out. We had Solitarica was an amazing take on solitaire, uh and it was and even Concrete Jungle was kind of like out of nowhere that was kind of a uh sort of a digital board game. It was a strategy game where you're building up like a city and you kind of had to place these kind of uh, almost Tetris-like pieces of buildings and parks and things and the rules about where you could put things and you didn't want to have too much negativity in your city and it was uh, just a really different and fun game.
0: Yeah, just to be able to have that kind of time management expanded out. And then you have uh, Inks came out that year where that was just a great way to reinvent pinball by giving you specific areas to shoot. And then once you completed the level, it was almost like a piece of art because as your pinball rolls around, it lays down like rainbow paint behind it. So you get to see your whole trail of everything that you did.
1: Right, yeah. You kind of left these beautiful like pictures of your, the weird paint splatters that you created during your, your pinball game.
0: And then Crashlands came out in 2016 as well, and that's just that survival adventure game. You know, they'd been on the App Store and other platforms before, like Don't Starve, but Crashlands just made it so accessible. And then not only that, they gave you a continuous flow of objectives. So some of these type of games, you can get lost saying, I don't know what to do, or you don't really know what to do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so these games have... Crashland gives you specific objectives to follow. You don't have to follow them, but it gives those type of players that can get lost something to actually aim for and strive for.
1: Right, yeah, there was just so much content in that. you never felt like you didn't have something to do. And my, my daughter played that for so long. She kept on playing it after I had stopped playing it. And it just constantly was going back in because there's more stuff you can collect or more tasks to build, things to fight, and it was just a lot of content for... I, I don't remember. That was fairly inexpensive. I I seem to remember not being too, too expensive, but for the amount of content you got, it was insane.
0: Yeah. And so that's 2016. And then 2017, hopefully you listened to our best of 2017 episode last year. You know, it was just like six, seven months ago. But (laughs) in case you didn't, Oxenfree, Gorogoa, and Hidden Folks are amazing. Oxenfree takes that Telltale idea and expands upon it like nobody else with an amazing storyline. Gorogoa takes the ideas of Framed and expands upon it where you have these multi-layered kind of Inception-style areas to draw around and then Hidden Folks takes Where's Waldo and brings it to life with these ornate and expansive areas to find different items from.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially the the second two, they were visually stunning. And even even though uh, Hidden Folks was black and white, there was just so much detail in those pictures for you to kind of sift through and look at, and little tiny little animations of things. So much stuff to to it, take in and look around and see as you were trying to find the items that you're supposed to be finding. As far as like yeah. my my top three for that for last year, were uh, Thimbleweed Park, which was kind of went back to that retro style adventure game. Uh, It really had like that 80s, 90s feel, and it just really well written humor, and then uh, a couple of digital board games, of course. Uh, Potion Explosion, fantastic digital adaptation by Asmodee of this marble Basically, you're students inside of a a wizarding school and you're trying to cause kind of chain reactions by pulling marbles out of this little tray. And then you use those marbles as ingredients to build potions, which then you can use the potions to help you grab other marbles to then complete potions to get little rewards and be hopefully the person that scores the most number of points and then finally age of rivals was another of these out of nowhere type card games where it was kind of a collectible card game but it's all in one you paid once and you were done you eventually unlocked all the cards but you didn't have to keep on buying card packs or anything like that
0: as you were playing through yeah and so i mean 2017 was great and I don't know if I can say the same thing for 2018 so far. I mean, there's been some definite standouts, but as you yeah. go back through all these years, I don't think that this year is on par with those.
1: No, I think we're running slow this year. We have not had like the big influx. Usually we have three or four or even five Majorly good titles every month we've had in some of these years. And this year, it just has not been that. We've had some decent titles, some good titles, but not like outstanding, memorable, super memorable titles.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd be remiss to say that back in 2011, Nimblebit released Tiny Tower, which that game kind of showed how time management games would fit on iOS. Because Nimblebit before then, you know, they were releasing Skyburger and Moondrop and quick action games. And so to flesh out Tiny Tower and then see all these games kind of take that Tiny Tower mold and shift it around a little, that one was a trendsetter too.
1: Yep, yep.
0: And so I think that's a good recap of 10 years on the App Store. A lot's happened. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of great stuff. A lot of really good memories of the stuff that's come out. And... I don't know where the App Store will be in 10 years from now, but hopefully it has as many good highlights as the past 10 years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping we're going to have like a lot to reminisce about and, oh, yeah, I love that game and it's not all going to be free to play this or AR that or if they are, I hope they're super memorable, interesting experiences.
0: Yep. And so as we take a look back, there's also plenty of stuff in the present to look at beginning with best rally which is a new rally racer game for ios and we've seen them before this one is more of a arcade style with really short tight levels where essentially you can complete them in under 10 seconds so you know we've seen more realistic rally racing games where you got a minute to hit the course the best you possibly can but best rally is this really ornate course where you have like various different obstacles to avoid. It starts out where it's just like barriers, but then it's gonna be like holes in the desert and just more kind of far out challenges. But really, if you've never played a rally racer, the main idea is that there's no other cars. You're racing the clock. It's a race against the clock. That's all you need to focus on. So you need to take the best lines and reduce your curves and try not to make any mistakes because that three-star score, it's really, really tough to get. So. Even that two-star, you're going to be right there on it, and one mistake can derail your whole run.
1: Right, yeah. So for the controls on this one, all you're doing is tapping on the left side of the screen to turn toward the left, the right side to turn toward the right, and you're always going to be driving forward. So you don't have to worry about gas or anything you're just going to be going forward and you just have to avoid everything that gets in your way so the hardest part about that i found at least with this game is there'll be these little jersey barriers and you have to drive between two of them well you can't really see what's coming up ahead of you it's not like you have a top-down view and see everything all at once you have kind of this isometric view and stuff comes into your field of view as you're driving around the course so you can't even plan ahead until you've gone through the course at least once and then you kind of know how it's laid out and you know to improve the next time and you when you race the next time you'll have a ghost of your previous run to kind of give you a guide so you can kind of see where you maybe went wrong before and know maybe i need to start turning earlier or maybe i need to start turning later if i want to make it through this thing and not get tied up a little bit by this uh barrier or the falling off a bridge or whatever you happen to have to avoid but there was a nice mix of things as you're going through these different levels
0: yeah they really balanced it well especially because like i said the levels are really short so it's a little disappointing in that regard just from a whole rally perspective but from a more arcade perspective it lets you to just focus on the specific challenge the only problem with that is that it seems like there's a lot of load time and then, of course, if you don't spend any money, there's that little notification at the top of the screen. Five tries until an ad, and you're like, crap, I don't even want to restart. I just want to nail this level. <laughs> and so <laughs> you can pay money to remove ads so you don't have that. But without it, it, just, it doesn't seem to flow from level to level as well as it could with how short the levels are. So it seems like it's always kind of pushing you away to look up from the screen or be distracted by something else rather than being fully immersed in the game.
1: Right. And I actually, I kept on, my brain kept on misreading and saying it, seeing it as four tires or five <laughs> tires. I'm like, oh, no, it's not tires, it's tries. But I could have sworn when I was playing it when it first launched, I thought you had more tries in between each one of these ads. My biggest problem with the way they monetized it is. You can either buy one of these four vehicles that they have for 3.99 and that also removes the ads, or you can pay 2.99 and remove the ads. The biggest problem I have is those four other cars that you can purchase, they seem to go faster than the stock car. I don't foresee a way that I'm ever going to hit three stars on a level without using one of those cars. They do have ways that you can watch a video and then you watch an ad and then you have like a 4 minute timer with one of those cars where the you get unlimited tries during that timer while it's counting down so you do have a way that you can use that car to then hopefully get the the 3 stars but it seems kind of a cheap way to do it where you basically have to watch these ads if you want to be able to get 3 stars you can't do it with the stock car at least it doesn't seem like you can. Maybe the, maybe it's possible. Maybe I don't have the skills, but it just seemed it was kind of set up that way.
0: Yeah, even seemingly incentivized purchases to do better is a discouragement to keep playing. Right, right. I yeah I agree. And so, again, if the levels I think were longer, or. Because, you know, when you play a puzzle game where, you know, it puts up those little three stars, then you have to press next, it kind of breaks the flow. And we've seen a lot of puzzle games recently go for that more Zen style, where they get rid of the menus, and it just, you complete a level, you press the next button, and the next level's right there. If they would have done this in this game, I think it would have turned out a better rally. So, this truly isn't the best rally. <laughs>
1: Right, and there is a way you can challenge friends. I don't know that you're racing against a ghost. I I haven't tried that feature out yet. I think you only get a time, but it could be wrong.
0: Yep, so that's Best Rally. It is free. It's universal. And then there's Isoland 2, where it came out last week. We had so much to talk about. We pushed it to this week. And it's a classic kind of puzzle-adventure game. Subtly point-and-click, but more just pure puzzle-adventure where you go through a series of areas and you have these little puzzles to solve. So, you know, they're kind of classic move the tiles around to create a specific path for light to refract through or just various kinds of ideas of button switching and tile combinations and all that good stuff. And then the sequel picks up where the original left off, but you don't have to have played the original to enjoy the sequel because it's standalone and it also has these little throwbacks and shout outs to the original. The original more fleshes out this mysterious island that you're on. And so the sequel focuses on time travel, time periods. So it's going to overlap with the original, but again, you don't need it. So it lets you essentially just focus on moving through the puzzles. You get to travel from environment to environment, tap on anything that you can to see if it's interactive and then pick up little pieces, little items. So you'll have a pair of scissors or a knife or some blueberries, some bait, and all these little pieces are going to, you then have to figure out where they go in the world. What can they interact with? So it's classically inspired, but with a really neat storyline of time travel, mysterious island, and all the intrigue that comes with it.
1: Right, yeah. I played the original back, I think it came out in 2016, and it was another of these that kind of came out of nowhere. Great, like, hand-drawn graphical style, and it was just a really fun and interesting point-and-click adventure style game. And a really odd story. I don't want to give anything away, but it's a an odd story, and then you ended up and then all of a sudden I found out they're making the sequel. And I'm like, I definitely gotta play the sequel. I love the original. And so it kind of continues the story from the original, but you don't necessarily have to have played the original to to just dive right into this one. You're you're gonna understand enough of the story as it goes on. It's weird, but I love these weird point and click adventure games. And I found I found that this one I would say it was a little more straightforward than the first one. I thought the first one the puzzles were maybe a little trickier, but I still thoroughly enjoyed this the sequel and especially the whole element of the time travel and and the story elements as well. The thing I like about the way this game is set up is Normally in like these point-and-click adventure games, you can kind of ignore the story and you're just kind of moving around, collecting things, and you can figure out what you need to use on this or that. Where this one, they don't have a, a, an outright hint. Or maybe they do have a hint. system. I never had to use a hint system. But they do a nice job of within the dialogue of the text, the characters give you hints of what they're looking for, what they need, and it kind of triggers if you kind of get stuck you know, this is the next thing I need to probably go find because this person needs this. Let me try and think of where this object might be or how to unlock this particular thing I need to, to continue on and drive the story forward. So it just, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the entire time. I think it took me probably about an hour and a half, for maybe a little more to play through the whole thing, maybe closer to two hours. Uh, but it was it's a cool story and just really well done art and and text-wise as well.
0: So I was able to play... I never played the original when it first came out, so I played it over the past week and then went right into the sequel. And with that quick connection, I definitely agree that the puzzles are a bit more straightforward but it seems like there's more movement there's more different scenes available to potentially travel to to piece things together you might have to move for further between a code here and the solution over here and then there's more items to pick up and then they also just cleaned up the interface the ui so now with the dialogue the previous game had this delay where you tap and you want it to advance but it wouldn't It kind of lets you give it a certain amount of time. So this time you just tap on their face, you tap on their face, so it's more in the process of reading it. And then you can also now draw over the screen to kind of save yourself clues. And you can also grab screenshots, again, to save yourself clues to be used in different scenes. And I think it helps because there's more potential scenes and longer gaps to travel between.
1: Yeah, it's been a couple of years since I played the original, but you're right. There were only like a certain number of locations in the original one. And I do like that new uh, way to capture screenshots and draw on it to keep kind of hints. And you have multiple different kind of drop boxes you can put the things in to keep a few at a time and glitch games did that with their point and click adventures and I found it a super useful tool for figuring to keeping track of information especially when you do have to travel between multiple locations and you want to save yourself some time so you take a screenshot you like know you're going to need this information later and so then you can bring it up. Nice and easily without leaving the app or swapping over to Photos to see it, and you can nowadays with markup in Photos, you can kind of do it right in the native iOS as well. But it's nice to have that tool right within the game.
0: Yep, and so if you're even a remote fan of point-and-click adventure games, puzzle adventure games, or just like a really good story, Isoland Two again, it can be standalone game, but it's probably worth it to check out the first one because it's really well done in the similar style. And it's $1.99. It's universal. Yep. And then there's Dear Evil X. So it doesn't spell out like it sounds. It's essentially dare, D-E-R-E. And then X is like an executable file, so it's E-X-E. And so it's a hardcore platformer game where there's a bunch of ways to die. And there's this really interesting storyline. So mostly with these hardcore platformers, they forego storyline and they just challenge you with really hard level design, all kinds of ways to die. This game makes it so you have to listen to essentially your AI guide to give you tips. Like it, if you play without the sound, you're going to die just because you're not listening. So you want to listen to the AI. And then as you complete levels, you'll have this weird like essentially glitch in the executable file and you'll have this other character come in and they present themselves as a good guy you don't know if they're a good guy or a bad guy and then the levels are or there's only a few main levels but then that actually proceeds to the overarching storyline so it's not that bad that there's fewer levels because it's more story driven than level driven of a platformer so it's a pretty interesting juxtaposition for platformer games
1: right and it challenges every norm that you would usually know about platforming games because you quickly learn like you said you have to listen to her because otherwise if you do not you're going to do what you would think you should normally do in platformer games and you're going to die and you're going to die quickly and often and so you really have to pay attention because they're going to challenge every single norm that you would expect and you have to do it things you don't expect to do and it is pretty darn challenging. I did find that part of the challenge is because I can't move the controls. So down at the bottom of the screen, (laughs) you have a left and right control, and then you have a jump button. The problem is my wrist was killing me on the iPad because the controls are centered on the bottom of the screen. You can't move them over to the side. So you almost kind of have to balance the iPad with your wrists, like kind of holding the iPad down at the bottom center to be able to access those buttons if you could just shift them all the way to the left side it would be so much more comfortable to play but i I could not find an option in here to adjust where the controls are you would think that should be a simple update i'm hoping they update it to add that because it's super annoying but otherwise it was it controlled like you would expect but that just added to the challenge
0: yeah i forgot about that all you'd have to do essentially is be able to move the buttons more to the left because now they're left center justified instead of just left justified, and you want them over so it's just with your left thumb to control it. Because other than that, I mean, if you move your finger over, it's not like it's a bad control setup, it's just you'd like to be able to customize it.
1: Right. It just would be more comfortable to hold the iPad and move at the same time if you could just shift it to the left.
0: And then I don't want to spoil the game, but just as an example, the game says don't collect coins. <laughs> I know.
1: That was what I was thinking of. <laughs> it's hilarious
0: that, you know, you have to purposely think about it because it's become ingrained in you that you collect coins. You just collect anything that's floating on the screen when you're jumping through a platformer. So it takes a while to purposely tell yourself. You have to avoid the coins like you jump up and hit the block and they come raining down and it's like they're all instant death. This raining from above instead of these good little things that might replenish health or something. Well, I love that it's not quite
1: instant death that you can collect yeah. the coin and you hear the ching and then it's like a second later that you just blow up. Yeah. And, it's, and but you're going to forget. You're going to think, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got this. And then all of a sudden there's going to be some coins in the screen and your instincts are going to kick in and you're just going to go grab them. And you're like, oh, maybe this time they didn't hurt me. And then boom, you blow up.
0: And then also they include a bunch of checkpoints. Which is interesting because usually in these type of games, you know, you have to make it through like a minute or two minute run and just get deal with all these different things where you keep dying and learn from your death. This game they want you to make it through the whole storyline, so they give checkpoints very generously, and I really appreciate that.
1: Yes, I love that they add checkpoints. There were a few times where I wish the checkpoints were a little bit closer to one another, but. The fact that they put so many checkpoints in is absolutely amazing because when I first read it and it said this is like a punishing, super hard platformer, I'm like, oh man, if I had to start all over again each time, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to quit and I'm done. But they do, they are very liberal with those, ch- those checkpoints.
0: Yep, so that's Dare Evil X. It's free, it's universal. And then to round out the week is The Birdcage. And if you've ever played The Room, the birdcage is going to be familiar. Essentially, it's that tactile 3D puzzle adventure game. In this case, you have to open up these bird cages. So, you know, you're going to open panels and flip switches to help undo the lock to free the bird. And the best comparison, if you've ever played The Witness and then if you've ever played Far Away far away is just like the witness except it's not this 3d expansive traveling around it just focuses on the puzzle aspect and so the room has all these expansive areas to travel to and different intricacies this just focuses on one so in the room you might have a box that's similar to one of these individual bird cages but there's all this other stuff going around the bird cage you just go from level to level where you focus on the individual bird cage
1: yeah that comparison is perfect i mean and it also kind of shows it's a slightly simpler version of this larger game and so they are the levels are pretty darn quick like especially early on they do by once you get to the second grouping of levels they do start to get a little bit longer and a little bit more involved but they are pretty quick they also add this element in there where you're collecting like a letter each time which is like a kind of like a drawn picture that is kind of driving a story forward there's also these little gems that you have to quote unquote find in each level they are so out in the open obvious that you can just quickly tap them even while the screen is loading and you could tap some of them it, those seem kind of useless, like, I, they should just leave that part out, I think it's just to give you a little more to do in each level, to extend it a little bit, it seems kind of pointless, but otherwise, like, I did enjoy the puzzles, they were fun, they do have, like, some rich elements, they do obviously borrow heavily from the room, there's a lot of similar puzzles to that, uh, but it, it's so well made, it's just not at the scale of something like the room, but if you're looking for something quicker and like fun, little short puzzles, then I think you'd really enjoy this.
0: Right. It's if the room is just like too much, might be overbearing or really just want that room fixed, but you don't need to sit down for an hour and just be involved with it. These are just quick, short condensed levels built on similar mechanics. It's not going to be the most complex puzzle sequences you've ever come across, but they're still well done to keep you engaged. Right. And for for the free download, you get
1: two level packs for free, which each have five levels. You'll go through those pretty quickly. It really will only take you probably half an hour, I would say, tops to get through all those, maybe 40 minutes, depending on how slow you are. Uh, and then you can buy two other packs for $0.99 each I think they had a third pack for $2.99 I want to say Uh, I'm not sure how many levels were in each of those I'm guessing probably five each in the $0.99 packs I'm not sure what was in the other pack
0: yeah so that's definitely worth noting and so the Birdcage is free it's universal and then you're going to need to buy more level packs if you're really enjoying it yep and I think that's everything for episode 74 yep that's all i got to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time talk to you later